Thank you very much. My subject today is going to be that relatively new phenomenon called religious neutralism. Conservative, pro-American, anti-communist, for-God family and country organizations, after bringing lukewarm Christians and half-hearted patriots to a deep knowledge of the conspiracy, to a level of understanding attained by few people, then often lose hundreds of these same people. Why? I think the question of why should be acknowledged, studied, and treated, and not swept under the rug. Once the knowledgeable patriot understands, back to the Illuminati and beyond, the depth and the depravity of the conspiracy to control the world, why would he drop out? We are making little or no headway against it, he concludes. As long as our nation and what we think of as, as civilization is already lost, why not concentrate on leading people to Christ, he rationalizes. Today's America is not worth saving because America is no longer a Christian nation, he alibis. Since the country is irretrievably lost and the takeover is near, he concludes that the best thing for him to do is to concentrate on his salvation and the souls of his loved ones and perhaps others. The comrades have long proclaimed that religion is the opiate of the people. Indeed, a tired, discouraged, disconsolate conservative who turns to religion as an excuse for quitting the fight is hunting for a fire escape, an opiate. And opiates don't save. Incidentally, it would be highly interesting to know how many souls these dropouts have actually saved. Is it Christian? For them to cut out and leave the dirty work for us, I too would rather try to lead people to Christ. The John Birch Society has possibly lost more members to Christianity than for any other one reason. How ironic. The John Birch Society, though not in essence a Christian organization, was a main factor in bringing many of those same people to Christ. Once thoroughly educated and thoroughly discouraged, they finally turned to Christ as the answer. Christ is the answer. But Christ never admonished us to cop out and pray only. He said, occupy. He said, occupy till I come. Christians don't quit. 
The Bible teaches that Christ is the Lord over both the nation and the individual. Thus, how can a true Christian forsake either? Wherever does the Lord allow any born-again Christian to give up such things as defending freedom, family, and country? Christ said, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Thus Christ elucidated the spiritual kingdom under him and the earthly kingdom under law and decreed that they be separate. He not only recognized nationalism, but inferred that Christians should participate in the earthly government. If communism were merely a political system, we as Christians should not be overly exercised about it. Politics is an incidental business to the church and to born-again Christians, and politics as such, left or right, has no place in the pulpit, in my opinion. The church belongs to the world, but the world does not belong to the church. I go to church to hear Christ preached, not politics. But communism is not only a political system, it is a diabolical conspiracy, an evil religion, and the deadliest enemy Christianity has ever faced. A communist must be an atheist. More than that, he must hate Christianity and Christians. The communist god is the government, the dictatorship of the proletariat. The communist promise for the future is not eternal life with the Savior, but eternal dictatorship over all the world, and a world of people regenerated and perfected by Marxism. Then Caesar would be everywhere, and your only escape death. Any so-called Christian who can accommodate and accept communism is simply not a Christian. This is a contest to the death between absolutes. Our president should not visit Moscow and Peking for the same reason women don't take their women friends with them to pick out a dress. You don't ask the enemy to help win the war. <laughs> Christianity and communism cannot coexist. If you are loyal to one, you are a traitor to the other. Jesus said, <laughs> Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. We cannot be with Jesus and fail to oppose Jesus' bitterest enemy. We must have and obey absolutes and not rely on time plus chance. Peter told us that when government or Caesar tries to take from us the worship which belongs to God alone, that we ought to obey God rather than man. Speaking of Peter reminds me of the teacher who asked a beginner Sunday school class, and who was Peter? A 
little four-year-old raised a hand solemnly and replied, I think he was a rabbit. <laughs> uh, lots of adult thinks think Peter was a rabbit. Both the Old and New Testaments are full of admonishments for us to hate evil. Christ and his apostles hated evil and refused to compromise with it. With it. John, the prophet, chastised Jehoshaphat, asking, Shouldst thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from the Lord. Yet the foreign policy of this nation for the past 30 years, if we can be said to have had one, has been to help our communist enemies who hate the Lord. John said of those who rejected Christ and helped his enemies, quote, For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. He was talking about Richard Nixon. The purpose of government, according to the Bible, is for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. But communism rewards evil and punishes good. What kind of government was Paul talking about when he asked, when he said in Romans 13, 1, 7, for there is no power but of God, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil, evil. And obviously he wasn't talking about a communist government. He went on to say, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So the Bible does not tell Christians not to oppose evil government, nor even to be neutral toward evil government but to oppose all evil. The Bible advocates government punishment of evildoers, including the death penalty. But the Bible is talking about good rulers with constituted limited authority, not criminal conspirators who murder wholesale and enslave globally. Personal freedom Marriage, family, and nationalism are all divine institutions ordained by God. Before proceeding further, let us define some terms. By Christian, I don't mean a non-Jew, do-gooding, nice fellow who goes to church. Going to church won't any more make us a Christian than going to the lion clubs will make us a lion. <laughs> A Christian is simply anybody who accepts Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. When the term religion is used, it is not synonymous with Christianity. Religions are the enemy of Christianity. Buddhism is religion. Communism is religion for many. Religion is based on works. Christianity is based, based on faith in Jesus Christ. There are two types of kingdoms, the earthly kingdom or state and the spiritual kingdom of God. God sent his son Jesus Christ to establish an earthly spiritual kingdom. 
The spiritual kingdom is composed not of do-gooders or churchgoers, good guys, anti-communists, or patriots, but of those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And Jesus said, No man cometh to the Father but by me. When man's freedom was bestowed by God, at the time he created man, God made man a free, self-conscious, self-determinate, divine individual. Communism denying God necessarily denies the divine right of man to be free. One world brotherhood is made of the devil not of God. God believes in nationalism, as shown in Deuteronomy 32.8 and Amos 3.3. God divided the people into nations to keep them from being destroyed, Genesis 9. Internationalism is Satan's program, not God's, Isaiah 14.12. In Genesis 11, 1, 9, internationalism brought on wickedness and rejection of God, and it has ever since. God decried internationalism at the Tower of Babel, scattering the human race and even giving peoples different languages to hinder their communication. God even established political boundaries in order to encourage people to seek the Lord. Unless more people get involved, Christian and non-Christian, the next generation of Americans will not even know what freedom means. The communists will not have to attack us from without since they are winning within. Our main menace is still not fall out, but sell out. Treason is the reason. Any born-again Christian who sees the sellout but is unwilling to work against it, as well as pray, lacks understanding of the Christian doctrine. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. I think we need to ask these dear people who spend most of their time praying and preaching, wouldn't you prefer to keep on doing it wherever you desire, instead of underground only? Can't you witness to more people in a free America than in a slave labor camp? Wouldn't you prefer the life of a free professing Christian than to be a priest in prison? Wouldn't you rather live a long life preaching Christ than to be the most prayerful Christian ever shot in the back of the neck and dumped into the mass grave? It's all ordained, so why fight it is the lame excuse offered by some professing Christians, which reminds me of the Presbyterian preacher back in the old days who was asked by a parishioner, if you believe everything is preordained and predestined and that when your time has come, it's come, 
Why do you carry a rifle with you every Sunday when you come to church? And the preacher said, because I might meet an Indian whose time has come. If everything in our life was already ordained, why would we work for a living? If everything is ordained, why try? Each of us was ordained by God with certain talents. I believe that each of us, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, free and unfree, has a divine obligation to do the best we can where we are with what we've got, to use our God-given talents in the highest degree possible, to make ourselves, our family, our country, our world a better place in Christ's name. God does not expect great accomplishments from us. God just wants us to use the talents we have. Jesus took away the one talent of the man who did nothing and gave it to the man who had ten talents. Jesus didn't believe in forced share the wealth or equality. He believed in giving the best you can. Some ill-informed, hid-in-sand evangelicals are now saying just preach the gospel. Unless the communist takeover is averted, it may soon become impossible to openly preach the gospel, even in this country. Spiritually, morally, or logically, how can a Christian rationalize that he is obligated to protect and provide for his own family, but not for other Christian families? Christians have ever had to make the choice. 2,000 years ago, Christians were given the choice of worshiping their Roman emperor or Jesus Christ, their king. They took Christ, and the lions took them. And so did the torture chambers and the crucifixions. But the Romans were civilized in comparison with the communists. Thousands of Christians in communist dungeons have been forced to listen to recordings of their wives and children screaming as they were tortured. In America, a public school teacher now loses her job for teaching Christianity. Behind the Iron Curtain, she would also lose her fingernails, or maybe her hair, or have her tongue pulled out. So what chance has Christianity? It will win. The cause of Jesus will conquer the Russians, the Chinese, and all their vassals. Christianity cannot be destroyed, but communism can be and must be. 2,000 years ago, the more the Roman tyrants persecuted the Christians, the more Christians there were until finally the Emperor Constantine himself presumably became a Christian. The communists may destroy America, but they won't destroy Christianity. But someday Christianity will destroy communism. The victory will be ours.
Jesus said the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church. The communists know that their main enemy is not the Pentagon, but Christianity. Since a violent revolution wiping out Christians can't be accomplished yet, their best approach is to water down Christianity until the next generation of lukewarm Christians figures it is not worth dying for. If it's not worth living for, how could it be worth dying for? If Jesus was just a good guy, not virgin born, not divine, if he did not rise from the dead to go to prepare a place for you, why should you die for him? What's the best way for the conspirators to soften up the Christians? By infiltrating the theological seminaries, the universities, and the church hierarchy, which they've done. The brainwashing has already progressed to the point that a high percentage of so-called Christian pastors and priests don't even believe in the divinity of Christ. The so-called gospel they preach is watered-down Christianity, do-goodism, equality, peace, social gospel, make a heaven on earth by accumulating lots of brownie points. I think it's foolish and unavailing for us to debate whether to save souls first or save the country first. We do both first. The more souls we lead to Christ, the more dedicated patriots we'll have. And the more citizens we educate to become dedicated patriots, the more souls we'll lead to Christ. Since this is a, quite a complex subject, let me make myself crystal clear, as our chief Pharisee is wont to say, <laughs> when he means something else. I do not subscribe to the viewpoint that all it takes is to educate and that an enlightened people will do right. I believe that an enlightened people without God will do wrong. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9. Born-again Christians should know that they are neither called on to amass brownie points nor to pray away their sins. And certainly they should do more than just sit and pray. As Beaumont said, faith and works are like the light and heat of a candle. They cannot be separated. Briny points don't count in heaven. And born-again believers' sins are already forgiven. That's the reason Christ died, to wash away our sins. So what should a born-again believer do? He should work, not to get saved, but because he is saved. A living, saving faith 
produces works. By their fruits ye shall know them. And the fruit comes after the roots and after the pollination and after the flowering. Incidentally, there's an off-season for nearly every flower except the blooming idiot, the atheist. <laughs> I would not give much for your religion, said Charles Spurgeon, unless it can be seen. Lamps do not talk, but they do shine. Some conservatives are like the fellow in the little country church who was bitterly opposed to the pastor's suggestion that the church purchase a chandelier. But why are you so against it? The pastor asked him. Well, first, said the man, nobody can spell it, so how can we order it? <laughs> Second, nobody can play it if we get it. And third, what we really need is more light. Archimedes, the mathematical genius of ancient Syracuse, gave himself completely to his studies. When the Romans besieged his city, he was so engrossed in his studies that he was oblivious to the deadly struggle going on all about him. When the Romans breached the wall and entered the city, he took no note of it. When fighting broke out in his own street, he paid no attention. Even when a soldier broke into his house and ran him through with a sword, he never looked up from the mathematical problem that held his interest. He was a charter member of the silent majority. <laughs> but, but he was certainly educated Education without action is futile. It is unrewarding to be the best educated person in the concentration camp. It is a mixed blessing to be the best Christian ever tortured. It is not enough to educate. Some of the best educated people are the most wicked, totally lacking in character. You have to be educated to be able to commit many crimes. One-fourth of Hitler's concentration camp guards held doctorate degrees. Education without morality is dangerous. Will a highly educated person lacking in character stand up and be counted for what's right? For God, family, and country? No. He's either neutral or on the other side. So, if Christians are not willing to go to bat for freedom, who will? Many educated yellow bellies proclaim that there is no use fighting because the ball game is over. That eases their consciences and makes them socially acceptable. They wouldn't get in the ball game if it was in the first quarter. They are not ignorant and innocent, but gutless and guilty. They sell their freedom inch by inch for a temporary personal peace and profit. When freedom is at stake, silence is not golden. 
it's yellow. Some people blame the decline of the church on nationalism and claim that being obsessed with communism, as they call it, causes Christians to leave the church. That's not true. The organized church has declined mainly because it deserved to. And it deserved to because it was not doing its job, preaching Christ. Christians have left the churches in droves in order to seek the Lord who has been abandoned by their modernistic apostate churches. A church and preacher denying the virgin birth is not a Christian church. It's against Christ. Christ is either what he said Christ is either what he said or he's history's greatest liar and faker. In the war between good and evil, neutralism is anti-Christian. A people which lack the morality to stand up on their feet and say no will someday have to say yes on their knees. Communism is a satanic, atheistic, religion dedicated to destroying Christianity and freedom. No Christian should be neutral either about anti-Christian communism or its advocates or apologists. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate. Or as Spurgeon put it, all true men ought to be decided for a dreadful conflict is going on at this present day and a curse will fall on neutrals. Most neutrals don't want to know the truth. They worship the ground their head is buried in. As Cicero explained their plight about 2,000 years ago, it's impossible to know the truth and not be held responsible. Donnie said the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who in a period of moral crisis maintain neutrality. Has the world ever known a time of greater moral crisis than now? People are so tense, nervous, and guilt-ridden today that they have a hard time sleeping through sermons. <laughs> but in modernist churches, they'd be better off doing that. Benjamin Franklin recognized this truth when he said, he who shall introduce into public affairs the principles of primitive Christianity will revolutionize the world. In other words, if America were really a Christian nation, there could be no takeover. Now, other dropouts amongst us, and I'm sure you, like I, know many of these people who are convinced that these are the last days, and maybe they are. 
But the Bible says no man knoweth the day and the hour. And it does not say that in the last days we ought to fold our tents and quit. Some last day Christians claim that they must spend all their remaining time saving souls. But thousands of already saved souls are rotting away in communist dungeons and slave labor camps. Shall we ignore and forget them? 1 Corinthians 12.12 12 says that every born-again person is a member of the body of Christ, his church. And as Paul adds in the 26th verse, if one member of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Christian martyr Richard Wormbrand, Lutheran minister who was imprisoned and tortured 14 years by the communists, says, when I was beaten on the feet, my tongue cried. Why did my tongue cry? It was not beaten. It cried because the feet and the tongue are part of the same body. Christian martyrs and their families are part of the same body of Christ. Can you not feel the pain? Thousands of worm brands, popovs, menzenes are still being tortured. Why can't the neutrals feel the pain? What can we do? We can do what Christ told us to do. We can occupy. He said, occupy until I come. Occupy means take or hold possession of, seize, to engage the attention or energies of, to fill up and extend in time or space, to reside in as an owner or tenant. Occupy. Keep, or keep on keeping on for God, family, and country until he comes, like he said. I guess it could be said that this debate rages not so much over principle as over strategy to first expose and defeat the political, economic, and intellectual conspiracy of which communism is a part or lead people to Christ. Why should it be either or? Why not expose and defeat the total conspiracy as part of the long-range goal to return this country to the status of a Christian nation? Returning to God before exposing the devil is like making a touchdown before crossing the goal line. You do them on the same play. In 1790, a great Irish patriot, John Philip Curran, said, the condition under which God hath given liberty to man is eternal vigilance. Which condition, if he breaks servitude, is at once the consequence of his crime and the punishment of his guilt? Evidently, Curran did not believe that liberty can be either attained or retained merely by praying for it. 
If God originated freedom, then certainly we as Christians must always be ready and willing to fight for freedom. Our nation... Our nation was founded more for religious reasons than for political reasons. Our forefathers were primarily Christians seeking freedom to worship. This nation was founded primarily by Christians on Christian principles revealed in the Bible. Our Supreme Court has ruled this is a Christian nation. The Mayflower Compact is a Christian document. While the conservative, God, family, and country organizations have doubtless had thousands of members neutralized by Christianity, for lack of a better term, there's another side to that coin. Thousands of people who belong to and work in these organizations do so because they are Christians. If I were not a Christian, I'm not sure I would continue in this struggle. I've been in it ever since fraudulent deficit Rushevelt was in his first term. And it's not a question of winning, you know, in 1936 or 1942. Or someday we're gonna win. I don't know whether I'll live to see it or not. That's not the point. And we've had a lot of fair weather friends of people who, who, who can't stand a few defeats drop out because they thought they could uh, brush all this stuff aside and go back to the golf course in two or three years. One fellow asked uh, Heine Hansen, Heine, uh, don't you know that every nation that ever has been on the same kind of toboggan we own, never straightens itself out till it hits bottom? Why do you beat your brains out against the inevitable? And he said, because it's unthinkable not to. If we're going to still claim to be Americans, we should act like it. And if we claim to be Christians, we should act like it. Back in 1775, our forebears decided that if they were going to be Americans, they had to act like Americans. So they fought, bled, and died to replace a non-American government with an American government. And we can thank God, or at the very least, Henry Kissinger, for that. And now lovers of liberty must place their trust in God and in the protection of divine providence. More and more Americans are beginning to believe that only a miracle can save us. And miracles come only from God. And then only in answer to prayers that are heartfelt, repentant, and accompanied by proper action.
John Smith loses to Nixon and many people get despondent. Let's take the long view. Someday John Smith is going to win. We are going to win because we are right. One evening, a famous actor was asked to entertain at a large dinner party. A ripple of excitement ran through the crowd of prominent guests as he rose to speak. He chose to recite the 23rd Psalm, which he did eloquently. He finished his dramatic presentation in a thunder of applause and the audience gave him a standing ovation. The next speaker was an elderly, white-haired man, bowed and worn by long years of patient labor as a missionary. I, too, would like to recite the 23rd Psalm, he said. Turning his face upward a little and closing his eyes, he began. When he was through, there was not a sound, no applause, and there was not a dry eye in the room. Afterward, a man said to the great actor, I don't understand. You both said the same thing. Your presentation was perfect in every way. Yet when he spoke in his halting, imperfect manner, People were moved too deeply for words. What's the answer? The answer's simple, replied the actor. I know the 23rd Psalm. I know it well. But he knows the shepherd. Many of us say we know the shepherd, but too few of us act like it. Once a football team was playing its last game of the season against its arch rival. Right before game time, a lowly sub who had never gotten into a game, and this was his last one, begged the coach to let him start his final game. He's the most popular man on the squad, mused the coach, and I'll just put him in for a play or two, and that'll probably help the morale of the team. On the opening kickoff, the sub raced down the field and made the tackle unassisted. He continued to play like an All-American. The coach couldn't take him out. With 30 seconds to go and the score tied, the sub made a sensational tackle behind the goal line and won the game. He was carried off the field on the shoulders of his teammates. In the locker room, the coach asked, how in the world did you do it? You never played like that before. The sub said, it's like this, coach. Three days ago, 
My father died. He had been blind all his life. Today, for the first time in heaven, he was watching. I believe that our founding fathers are watching us today. The whole world is watching us. We are what stands between the world and slavery. If the lamp of freedom is blown out in America, the world will be thrown into darkness. I believe that we have what it takes. I know we have all the physical attributes, morality and courage, the main attribute that we need now to wipe out and destroy and not coexist with that diabolical conspiracy of hate, communism, and the evil conspiracy behind it. God bless you. Occupy. Thank you. <laughs>